Well, when I said a few minutes ago, like about Christmas, none of you seemed that excited. But I got, I got to tell you, um, I, I really, really love Christmas. I'm sure there must be somebody out here who likes Christmas, as well as me. Yes, that's better. That's more like it. Um, anybody got their tree up already? Okay, sweet. Anybody decorated their outside of their house yet? Okay, a few. Anybody uh, listening to Christmas music yet? Okay, I'm pretty certain that Arlene, our intern, who's behind the camera today, has been listening to Christmas music and since March. Uh, it seems to be in that kind of uh, realm. In, in our family, we have a little kind of deal, which is that we have to get through birthdays before we can get to Christmas. So three of us out of the four of us have birthdays in October, November, December. And it's actually William's 10th birthday today. Exciting. Um, you'd be absolutely surprised to know that he got some Lego for his birthday. Um, and once William's birthday is done, we can then get like, into Christmas in a big way. In fact, as a family, we took very important steps towards American citizenship this week. Uh, we went to Home Depot and bought one of those huge inflatable snowmen to put outside of our house. I felt like that was an important moment in, in, in the journey. Right? But I suppose this year, Christmas is going to look very different for a lot of us for different reasons, isn't it? We've, we've just missed a big family funeral. Uh, we're just going to miss a big family wedding in a few weeks' time. And then this Christmas, like, we're not going to get to be with our family. And I know, having spoken to a bunch of you, that a bunch of you are not going to get to see um, your families this Christmas. And that's kind of sad, isn't it? Because family Christmases are really, really important. Like, I don't know what you did when you were growing up. Like, in our um, extended family, which is very big, like, we have this whole week of, like, different family gatherings between Christmas and New Year. We actually have this event in, in London every year called Chasemus. I mean, who even names something after their own family like that? Um, and it's basically where all the chasers get together, and then they, they all share lots of good food and then give each other terrible gifts, which came from thrift stores. Um, I don't know why we do it, but... We're not going to get to do it this year. And I guess there will be a lot of us which where we don't get to do the things that we're used to this Christmas. And I think one of the reasons that that kind of feels a bit sad and it's like, oh, no, is because Christmas ultimately is about family. It's about God's family. It's about this little human family that we're going to look together. And of course, then it's about our families and our stories being interwoven with God's family. But I think we're going to see this morning that unlike you know, our family Christmases, which might have all these very strange complex dynamics and which uncle is going to drink too much or eat too much or say the wrong thing. This first Christmas that we're going to think about this morning is going to show us and remind us that God loves us, that God loves us so much that we are caught up in his story, that we're invited to respond to God's story in worship, in praise with our lives and our hearts. And then as we do that, as we get caught up in God's amazing salvation story, then actually that will start to flow out of us into the world around us. So we're going to have some of the most beautiful nativity story, two readings this morning, uh, read by Carla. Hi, Vintage Church. My name is Carla, and I'll be doing the reading this morning. The passage is Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Matthew 1, 18 through 24. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So good. I, I love like the nativity story. Uh, growing up uh, in, in schools, you don't have that here, but also in churches, there was always these like big nativities where like there was a discussion like who was going to play which character in the nativity like who was going to get to be Mary who was going to get to be Joseph in my case he was going to be like shepherd number 36 or whatever it might be you know like it was a really big deal uh, in in uh, churches that Laura and I have helped to lead for a while now we've always had this thing where on Christmas Eve we do like a crib service so that the baby in the church that was born the closest to Christmas would get to be Jesus and the, the parents would be Mary and Joseph uh, baby William 10 years ago was Jesus in the nativity actually in vintage Pasadena we've had a lot of good contenders for Jesus this year there's been a good competition running and in the end actually it came very very close I think it was between um, uh, William Tetzel and Wyatt Averill. And I think Wyatt Averill beat uh, William Tetzel by just a couple of days. Um, so unfortunately, because of COVID, we aren't going to get to have everybody like round in a crib service. Um, but I would say it's not too late to start for next year. Uh, if you'd like to be uh, Mary and Joseph next year, we can, you know, you've got time. You've got time to, to think about um, that one. The nativity, as it's told traditionally, is so beautiful, isn't it? But if we leave it on this kind of level of Christmassy, festive feeling, then maybe we could forget, we could miss the greater, bigger significance of the Christmas story. And so today I want to help us just get under the surface a little bit to understand why Jesus is coming was so vitally important and why it changes our lives. So the first thing I want us to think about today is that God loves us so much. 
Like if you want to know about why the Christmas story is so important, actually what you have to do is go back to the creation story. And you actually have to ask the question, why did God even bother to make a world in the first place? Was God lonely? Was he bored? Was he sad up there on his own? Well, actually, the Bible says that God was in community. He was in family, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of that like overflow of love, the desire to love another, God created this beautiful world. And human beings were created in God's image as his children. And he said to them, you're my children, I love you. I have good things for you. I have an adventure for you to experience. We are gonna be a family together. But here's the thing, this is a story of love, which means that it's free. It's a free will thing. So you have a choice, human beings. You can love me or you can turn from me. That's your choice. And sadly, what we read about in Genesis and through the Old Testament is not of nice, happy families. It's actually of God's people repeatedly saying, thank you, God. Like, we know you're out there. We know you've got good things for us. We know that you've got, like, gifts to give us, but we only want the gifts. We don't want the rules. We don't want the family. We just want the benefits that you can give. And so the human beings go off time and time and again, and they do their own things. And of course, what happens? They find themselves in pain. They find themselves in, in captivity. They find themselves in suffering. And time and time and again, the human beings reach out to God and they go, hey God, we've messed it up. We're so sorry. We screwed it up again. Will you forgive us? Will you take us back? Can we be a family again? And of course, God is so kind and compassionate and loving that time and time and again, God takes the people back. And all is well for a little while until the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, this human story is of brokenness and rebellion and rejection of God as Father. Until about 700 years before Jesus comes to earth, there is this darkness, this spiritual darkness that has enveloped the story of God and creation. Like sin, rebellion, evil has broken the story. But the prophets, in the middle of this context, they talk about a future, like a cure. It's a bit like, you know, like right now we're sitting waiting for the cure to COVID. We're sitting in the now, but not yet. We can see it, but we can't experience it yet. Like the people waited and they watched in the darkness. They hoped that things would get better. And so after hundreds of years of waiting, God steps in to the human story. When the angel comes to Mary, he says to her, hey Mary, that baby that you are carrying, that's not just a baby who's gonna be born in a manger and be remembered as things that put on postcards for the next kind of thousands of years. Actually, this is God himself stepped into the human story to bring the cure to the greatest problem that the world has ever had, the disease that has spread across the whole of the human condition. It has a 100% mortality rate. It's like COVID on steroids. Everyone dies from it. It's called sin. And this baby is going to come and be the cure to the greatest disease. When the angel actually speaks to, to Joseph, says in Matthew 121, he, Jesus, will save people from their sins. I've asked you quite a lot recently, like, how do you see Jesus? How do you see him? We, we talked about Jesus who is like our friend. Like Jesus, who we can come to when we're burdened and we're weary and we're at the end of our rope. And I guess when I spoke about that, I, well, I hope you went, oh, that sounds really nice. And then we talked about like Jesus, who is the king of our lives, the one who is like in control, who has the reins of all our decisions and maybe less of us or just some of us went, yeah, that sounds really good. 
Well, today I want to talk about Jesus who saves us. That the fact that we need Jesus. Without Jesus, the Bible tells us that actually our separation from God was endless. It was total. That we had no way of bridging the gap of the darkness and the brokenness and the sin and the shame that had come into the world. That there was only one possible rescue strategy to bridge the gap and reunite God's family on earth. And that is what Jesus did when he came to step in to our world. God with us, Emmanuel. When we were separated, when we were lost, when we were far away, God made a way. And what that shows us beyond everything else is this. God loves you. Like God loves you. God loves you so much that he would not leave you on your own. That he would not leave you in your doubts and your fears and your brokenness. He would not let you die in that way. He came and brought Jesus to earth to make a way, to bring the vaccine, if you'd like, to make a way for us to know Jesus again. And it cost a lot. It cost God to step into our story. I don't know if you know this today, but God loves you the same way that he loved Mary that first Christmas. When he says to Mary, hey, you are favored. You have found favor in God's eyes. It wasn't because Mary was like somewhat super special and different in, in a whole different way. It was that actually Mary was favored because she was caught up in Jesus's story. And today God's invitation to you is to be caught up in Jesus's story. God loves you just like he loved Mary that first Christmas and he reaches into the darkness towards you today. And what that means is that like whatever your 2020 has been like, however it seems out there, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to think that you're on your own because God is with you. And his greatest invitation to you today is come and be with me in relationship again. So God loves us. The second thing is though, that we have a kind of response to make if we believe that God actually does love us if he's come to save us. We're, we're introduced in these two readings to these two really normal human beings. Uh, one is called Mary, right? Mary is a 12 or 13 year old young girl. Have you ever thought about that? She's 12 or 13 years old. Like my son is 10 today. That means in two years time, my little boy is going to be the same age as Mary was when she met with the angel, just going through puberty. And the angel comes to her, just like it comes to Joseph, this carpenter young man, and says to Mary, hey, Mary, like your life is going to change. You see, Mary and Joseph, they were engaged. And not the kind of like engagements we think about where it's like, you know, beautiful walk along the beach, down on one knee, massive Cartier rim, ring comes out, plan the $50,000, $100,000 wedding, whatever it might be. Like that's not what an engagement was in biblical times. What engagement meant was that there was a legal contract for one year between Mary's family and Joseph's family. And on one side, on Mary's side, the contract said that Mary had to be presented as a virgin and she had to be presented with some money, the bride price. And if that happened, then at the end of the year, Joseph and Joseph's family would take Mary to be in relationship for marriage. It's not like the most equal contract, right? It's not what we would consider modern day equality, but that's how it worked in that society. And so when the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, Mary, you're pregnant, it is catastrophic news. 
It completely ruins the marriage contract. It ruins Mary's life. It turns her whole plans and her future and everything upside down. Actually, it puts her life in significant danger because if Mary has committed adultery, it means that Mary can be stoned to death. Like this is serious, serious stuff from, from Mary. Like if anybody had a reason to like freak out, like Mary had the reason. But amazingly, like unlike what happens to Zechariah, if you read a few verses earlier in Luke, when Zech- the angel comes to Zechariah and says, your wife, who's really old, uh, she's going to give birth. And Zechariah goes, that's impossible. I can't believe that's possible at all. And like, just totally can't understand it. Mary says in Luke 1:38, I, I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And like astonishingly, like far from running away, if you read on a little bit more in Luke's gospel, what does Mary do? Mary worships. She worships. It says, if I read some of it quickly, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful for the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who were proud in their inmost thought. He's brought down rulers on their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's fed the hungry, done good things, and she carries on. Like this is a 12 year old girl, like 12 year old girl who's just found out that her whole life has been completely turned upside down and she worships. If you want to know maybe why God says, hey, Mary, you are highly favored. Maybe it's because she is a worshiper. She is a servant hearted worshiper. You know, I, I know how we talk about worship, don't we? Um, in our context in church, we talk about worship and generally what we mean is this thing that happens to my right. If you can't see it on the camera, this is the band, you know. It's when the holy anointed one with the ripped jeans, the holy anointed ripped jeaned one, right? They come to the front and they lead us in these very anointed songs of worship. And we say, wow, that was worshipful. That was really great or otherwise. And uh, then we go home and they say, how was worship? And we said, it was really great. Um, I don't think this is how it worked in Mary's time. I don't think that the, suddenly the anointed ripped tuniced one turned up in the village and said to Mary, hey, Mary, should we co-write a worship song together and we'll release it on Spotify and it'll be really great and many people will download it. I don't think that's how it worked. It's just that Mary had this love her heart exploded with joy because she got a revelation of the story of God and the story of creation, the fact that she was getting to play a part of it, and her heart just exploded in worship. Like I wondered this Advent, do you have a song of love in your heart for Jesus? Do you? I know that worship in terms of singing is different, right? It's different with face masks. It's different if you're at home. Um, it's different outside. It's different when you're six foot apart and you're not in a little, in a dark auditorium with a loud noise or whatever that might be. But what would Jesus invite you into in terms of worship? What does it mean to worship Jesus this Advent time? You know, it's so easy to lose Jesus in Christmas, isn't it? Like we get caught up. In the commercials, we get caught up in the like, you gotta buy this thing, eat this thing, see these people, don't see these people, whatever you don't see these people. You know, whatever it means, we get caught up in the story, but we miss, this is a love story for you from God. This is about Jesus. You know, Advent is not a time to prepare your Christmas trees, I'm sorry. It's supposed to be a time to prepare your hearts for the coming of Jesus, amen? That's what it is. How will you worship Jesus 
this Christmas. But amazingly, this thing happens when we do allow God's story to envelop our stories. When we get caught up in God's stories, this amazing thing starts to happen when our lives start to change as well. In Matthew chapter one, that Carla read, we're also introduced to this other character, uh, Joseph. Like we don't actually know how old Joseph was. Um, if you Google it, you get some very strange different answers. Do it when you get home. Um, but he was probably, probably like a ziddy teenage boy. He probably was. Young carpenter, guy, apprentice, learning his trade, blue collar, salt of the earth kind of guy. And the angel comes to him just like he came to Mary. Now, for for Joseph, it's also serious. Like, his life is also turned upside down. His family name is in ruin. It looks like his fiance has cheated on him. Like, it would be extremely easy to do the very thing that it says that he plans to do, which is to walk away. Like, just break it off. It's too complicated. It's too messy, dude. Go and find someone else to be your wife. That was his original plan. But when the angel comes to Joseph, actually says, dude, stop it. Don't do that. This is the story of God that you are being invited into. And it's, it's like a, it's a transformation. You know, for Joseph, it's a serious situation. He didn't live in like some sort of like nice, chill, super cool, like West Coast of the United States thing where families are kind of messy life. No, he lived in Orthodox Jewish world. When I was a teenager, I dated an Orthodox Jewish girl. I can tell you, it's serious stuff, this whole family thing, right? His life is in all sorts of a mess. And yet what his response is, which is a response that I want to invite us into today, is a response of faith, and it's a response of faithfulness. That Joseph chooses to believe the promises of God for his life and for Mary's life. Like as you get to the end of 2020, as Daniel mentioned a little earlier, like how do you feel about the promises of God for your life? Like are you still clinging on to those things that you know God has spoken to you in the past. It's easy, isn't it, this year to just kind of shut down and like, okay, 2020, we're done, get it out of the way, cross it off the calendar, then we'll think about next year, let's just shut everything down. But when we started COVID, March, April time, we talked a lot about Romans 8. You know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, like, no, that's not the wrong one, the other one, isn't it? It's <laughs> God is working all things for the good of those who love him. Like, do you still believe that? at the end of 2020? Where is your faith? Is your trust in God like Joseph was? But also the other thing Joseph does is he responds in faithfulness. He chooses not to give up. He chooses not to run away. Like I, I feel like this year, you know, it, it, it's so easy to want to just give up and run away, isn't it? It's like, let's just hide in our beds and put our covers over and come back like next year. But the Christmas story says that God was faithful to us and invites us to be faithful to him and to one another's around. Like, I don't know, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you about faithfulness, about keeping going? Like, if you want to know what love looks like, go and find somebody who's been married for over 50 years. Anyone been married for over 50 years? I'm looking around, no one's going to admit to that. No, I don't think, I don't think we're even close, are we? We're not that close. Um, but if you meet a couple who've been married for 50 years, like, you probably aren't going to see like, mad, romantic kind of moments 24-7. Probably you're going to find is faithfulness and commitment to one another. What would God say to you about being faithful to him, about keeping on praying, 
about keeping on worshiping, about keeping on reading your Bible, about keep on getting up and going to church or whatever it might be, what would he say to you this Advent time? Love is faithfulness, God's to us and us to each other. I want to just finish and I want to tell you a story actually about what happened to us at Thanksgiving. Now, in order for me to tell you this story, we actually have to have a little agreement, um, if that's okay. And the agreement is that you're not allowed to say, ah, that's why we pay him to be the pastor. You can't say that. Or, or he's the pastor, that's what he's supposed to do. Or uh, I'm not doing that or anything like that. Okay, you just have to go, well, what Holy Spirit are you saying to me today? That's the deal, okay. So, you know, we got to Thanksgiving in, in our house and uh, we realized, like a bunch of you guys did, oh, Thanksgiving is going to be different. Right? We're going we're gonna to be on our own. It's just going to be the four of us for Thanksgiving this year. And, and yeah, I had this kind of thing in my heart. I was like, like God, what, are we, what can we do to show the thankfulness, that you, the blessing that you've given to us? Surely we can do something to be a blessing to someone else. And I didn't know what to do. I just had no idea and COVID rules and all that kind of stuff. And as I was thinking about it, this email came into my inbox and uh, it said, oh, uh, from my friend, Chef Tony. Some of you know Chef Tony. He, uh, he runs Hope Catering in Pasadena. He was a homeless guy and he, amazingly, his life got turned around, met Jesus, set up this whole nonprofit which um, trains up other homeless people so that they can do catering. It's fantastic. And uh, they've had a really difficult year, as you can imagine. And his email just said, um, hey Ben, could we do a Thanksgiving dinner for you and your family this year? Uh, you give us some money and we'll make Thanksgiving dinner. And I was like, easy. Like, give money, don't have to think about it, someone else cooks Thanksgiving dinner. Like, done. That's a nice thing. Anybody can do that one. Let's do that. So, Laura and William and Chloe and I, we went down on Thanksgiving morning. We picked up our, our dinner and realized as we picked it up that we didn't have dinner for four. I don't know if we misordered it or something, but we had dinner for about 20 in the thing. We were like, oh, now what are we going to do now? So we went home and we had that kind of conversation and me being a chivalrous husband, I did the thing that all good chivalrous husbands did. I left my wife to fix the problem and I went down to the park with the kids. And because I am such a good dad, I put my headphones in when the kids were at the park and I let them roam around the park and do their, uh, their own thing. And um, as I listened to a podcast, uh, by a guy called Pete Scazzaro. Anyone know Pete? Pete Scazzaro, he's a pastor in New York, emotionally healthy spirituality, just incredible. If you've not checked it out, podcast, book, all sorts of good stuff. Um, really brilliant. And Pete Scazzaro on my podcast, as the kids were roaming around the park, said, if you want to cultivate a life of thanksgiving and love and generosity, you have to look for acts of random kindness to do. I was like, Okay, whatever, I'm in the park. And the exact moment that I thought that, William cycled over on his bike and he said, hey, daddy, daddy, like I've just been cycling outside of the park and there's a whole bunch of homeless people living under the bridge. To which I went, oh no, <laughs> he's been cycling outside of the park whilst I've been listening to my podcast. Mummy's going to be in so mad with me. That's going to go badly wrong. But then I thought, okay, okay, wow, you know, I was praying. There's some homeless people living under the bridge. I said to him, hey, Bubs, like, what would you think if we went and gave dinner to the people who are living under the bridge? And so he was like, yeah, that'd be fantastic. So we went home and confessed to mummy that we'd been cycling under the bridge and all that kind of stuff. And then we had this whole discussion. Can we give dinner to people who are homeless? Will they take it? What if we give COVID to people who are homeless? What if we give them food poisoning, whatever it might be? And then we thought, well, well here, let's do this. Four o'clock, William and Chloe and I will go down and we will ask the people living under the bridge if they would like to have dinner. So we kind of went down and, and just like really nervously approached this kind of group of people and just said, hey, look, I'm, I'm so sorry that you have to be under this bridge, but we wanted to just say happy Thanksgiving and, and 
would you like to have dinner? Could we, have, could we, give you, could we provide dinner with you and have dinner with you tonight? And um, amazingly, we met this little family and they said, yeah, we'd love to have dinner tonight and we don't really have anything at all and they didn't have any clothes they just had one set of clothes each and they were living under the foothill little road where where i live and we were able to just go and have dinner with them that evening and we were able to provide some little clothes and gifts and, and those kind of things and and through some generosity of some vintage people actually we were able to get that family off the streets for for thanksgiving like and here's the thing right it's it's the biggest impact is for me for William, for Chloe, for Laura. Now it's complicated, like it's messy. I can probably tell you the list of issues they have is endless. But every day this last week or so, William and I have been down to see our new friends and um, everyone there now knows, they know I'm a pastor, so they just call me pastor the whole time. And we've been able to pray with people and talk to people about Jesus and just hang out and be COVID safe and all that kind of stuff. Like it's been amazing. Now I have no idea where it's gonna go but it's taught me so much about faithfulness and love and just being in relationship and keeping going. Now, I'm not telling you, go home, take off your masks, go and find some homeless people, break all the COVID rules. I'm not saying that at all, but I just wonder what would the Holy Spirit wanna say to you as you respond to his love about faithfulness this Christmas? Like COVID has done many things in our culture, but one of the things that makes me a bit sad is when I see COVID making us just introspective. When we turn it into like, it's just about me. It's not about anyone else. I'm going to survive. I'm going to do what I need to do. I don't care what's going on out there. We are always called to love the other, to love God, to go the long journey with each other. So what would God say to you this Christmas about faithfulness? When Jesus came to earth, the first thing he did was he quoted from Isaiah and he said, I, I've come to bind up the captives and the brokenhearted and to bring freedom. What would God say to us? So I just want to pray for us as we come back to a time of worship. And firstly, what I really want to do is I want to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and make your heart beat again with love. If this year has caused your heart to go a bit cold or a bit scared or a bit like whatever, I wanna just ask that the Holy Spirit would come to start to get us moving and pumping again with love. And that actually as his love starts to come into our lives that it would start to flow through us and then maybe even out of us. So um, you can just do this where you're seated. Um, if you're at home, you can do this too. I just love us to, to put our hands out. Um, you don't have to do this, but this is just a sign of saying, I want to receive from you today, God. I want those things that you have for my life today. Even if I'm scared, even if I don't know who you are, even if I don't even believe that you're real today, but you can just do this. So let's, let's pray together.